it's been an awesome morning so far, except for one thing. If you're a guest here, you might not know this, but I'm not a country music fan, especially when it goes hillbilly on us just a little bit. But at any rate, I get the idea. A friend of mine actually found out that we were doing a Johnny Cash number this weekend, and he knows my, you know, love for country music. And so he, he texted me and he said, you know, what's wrong with you? I mean, you're falling down on a job. You must have lost your influence as a leader. I mean, they're doing, they're doing hillbilly this weekend. What's going on at Northridge? And my answer was quick and simple. I texted him back, this weekend is on apathy, so I just don't care. <laughs> and that's been behind all of our programming this weekend. I don't care. I don't know. But uh, apathy, apathy. Doesn't that sound like an absolutely bizarre topic for a talk? I mean, seriously, that's strange. I've never, I've never sat in a in a church service and heard a talk on apathy before. It's odd. In fact, I've never been in a seminar or any kind of a context where the the talk has been on apathy. It's just weird. But as it turns out, if you really think about it, when you pull up the covers on this thing called apathy, it's a significant problem in our world. In fact, as it turns out, there should be lots of talks on apathy. Apathy should be addressed and at the heart of most talks because the reason we're not doing what we ought to do in life, the reason we're not becoming what we ought to become in life, the reason we're not making the impact that we should be making in life it all boils down ultimately to this thing we call apathy. Because apathy by definition is to lack emotion, to, to lack feeling, to, to lack heart. It, it causes us to have a lack of interest, to be indifferent and unconcerned and unmoved. Apathy is a condition that causes people to live their lives without passion, without compassion. And it's one of our great enemies. The reality is that one of the biggest reasons that so many solvable problems still remain unsolved in this world ultimately boils down to apathy. I mean, just think about it. There are people, many of whom are kids all around the world, dying of malaria and waterborne diseases. Are you kidding me? Do we live in the 21st century or what? Do you know? We have the ability to make mosquito nets. They cost about three cents to manufacture. It would be possible to, to make enough for every person in the world, and yet people are still dying of malaria. Waterborne illness. Are you kidding? We know about water filtration. We have all kinds of products for water filtration. We know about welding. It can be done. It's not the most difficult of tasks in this world. So why are people still dying of these issues, these things that can be solved? It's because not enough people in the world care enough to do anything about it. Apathy is the reason the world's so messed up. There are people all around this globe starving to death. Again, many of them children. And it's not that there's not enough food. It's not that there's not enough technology to produce enough food. It's just that people don't care enough to distribute it. And people don't care enough to teach others in other nations in these outlying areas how to produce it. I mean, some of us may be not all that aware of the fact that slavery is still growing in this world. 
we talk about slavery as if it's only something in the past, but it's not. And much of the slavery issue in the world today involves sex trafficking, where you enslave people so that they can be used and abused for the obnoxious and perverted pleasures of a few and then thrown away and discarded as if they don't matter at all. And it should have no place in our world, but it does. It's a huge problem. But it could be significantly limited. I believe it could be ultimately stamped out if people would just open their eyes and care enough to do something about it. We've, we've done some things as a ministry. I went to Mumbai, India as just one example. And there's an unbelievable red light district, an unbelievable sex trafficking over there. It's just disgusting. But, but by going through that and having our eyes opened, what we've done is we've started taking some strides and some steps to invest against it because I believe with the right kind of investment, with the right kind of involvement, you can wipe it out and if you save one young lady or one young man, you've changed their world forever and one at a time we can change the world but it's not happening because of, well, this thing we call apathy. There's a ton of poverty in this world, a ton of poverty and not all of it but a lot of it exists because people just don't care about each other. They're not willing to support each other and to help each other. We've seen this around the world, and there are some really impoverished areas, but they have the resources they need to turn what they have into small profits to at least care for themselves and their families. And a great example, there, there was a group of widows, a community of widows and their children who were just starving to death, and they, they had no ability to educate their children or break the cycle of poverty, but someone cared enough to come alongside and teach them that there were all around them materials that could be put to good use that could ultimately change their economic reality. And they did. You've been to Target or Kmart or Kroger, right, where they, they say, do you want paper or plastic? You know what those plastic bags are like, where they're, they're strewn across the country of Zambia. I mean, it's just littered everywhere. They're everywhere. They're, they're, you can get them by the thousands. And so this person said, there's a resource for you. And these widows came up with the idea, we'll use these plastic bags as yarn and we'll make purses and bags and pouches and jewelry with them. And they've turned this junk pile of plastic bags into economic viability. They're now providing education and food not only for their own community but now for others. How? Because someone cared enough to just give them a little information, give them a little bit of help. Apathy is one of the things keeping so many people poor in this world. It's, it's possible to give access to education to every child in the world. It's possible. It's doable. But, but it's not happening. Why? Because of neglect. I mean, we'll complain about our kids getting a little bit better education when there are kids around the world getting no education, and we could do something about that, but we don't because of apathy. And we know you can do this. Do you realize in India, if you can't pass a certain test by the time you're five years old, you're locked out of school for the rest of your life, you're locked in the slums and locked in a cycle of poverty that will never change for you, but if you can pass that test at five, you can get an education and break the cycle of poverty in your world. And you know how easy it is to start a school? You go into the slums with a little bit of money and a couple of people, and you start educating these kids so that you change their entire lives. It can happen, but just not enough people are opening their eyes and caring, apathy, it's killing our world. And it gets worse because it enters into the spiritual world. Here's the reality, whether you understand it yet or not, and I know many people are seeking that come to Northridge, we're so glad you're here, but here's the reality. Jesus is the only true hope for the world. 
He's the only one that's going to change this passionless, compassionless world into a passion-filled, compassionate world. He's the only hope of this world, and yet the vast majority of the six billion people on this planet have never even been introduced to the real story of Jesus' love. And it's not because it's not possible. Technology makes it possible. Are you kidding? You just saw me on a, on a tablet speak to people in another city, and I've done it country to country and from the other side of the globe. I mean, taking, taking Jesus to the world is possible, but it's not happening because not enough people are willing to get involved to make it happen. And think about that. I mean, the truth is we can live next to the same people for 20 years and we're so unconcerned that we never even tell them Jesus' story. We can work to the, next to the same person for year after year and never even invite them to hear the story of Jesus, either our telling of it or in a place like here. And it's because we're indifferent. And if we're indifferent about our neighbor and our coworkers, of course we're going to be indifferent about people around the globe. No wonder the majority of the world hasn't heard the story of Jesus. Apathy is killing the world. It's killing the world. But here's what you really need to know. When we have apathy, it just doesn't hurt others and hurt this world. But it hurts us in big ways. We're in this series called Breaking Out. It's about... It's about claiming the freedom and fullness that Jesus came to give us. We need to realize that he's unlocked the prison doors that hold us bondage and captive within, and, and he's given us the ability to walk out and experience life as it was meant to be, but there are things holding us back, and one of those things, it builds a prison cell around us that traps us where we are in life. One of those things is apathy. Apathy is its own prison, is the truth that I want you to see this weekend. Apathy is its own prison, one of those things that are holding us back and keeping us imprisoned away from everything that God's created us. And I mean, the Bible's filled with this. And it's, it's so amazing to me that I've never heard a talk in church on apathy. It's, it's so amazing that, that we're not talking about this more as a world because apathy is what's keeping us from becoming Apathy keeps us from fulfilling our purpose and potential in this world. It really does. Whether you know this or not, God has created you fearfully and wonderfully, as he said it in the Bible. He's created you uniquely and perfectly to fulfill the purpose he put you on this planet for, and you have potential to make a difference. He didn't put you here just to exist or consume. He put you here to make a difference, and apathy is what's keeping us. And this isn't a me-to-you talk. This is an us talk. Apathy is keeping us from experiencing our purpose and potential in the world. And Jesus taught this time and time and time again. In fact, he taught this parable in Matthew 25 where he said there was this rich guy, and it was kind of a metaphor of him, and he, there was this rich guy who gave sums of money to three of his servants, and then he went away, and the only thing he said is, he says, invest what I'm giving you for my good, for my kingdom. And he left. And Look at how the story kind of ends in Matthew 25, 16 to 18. It says, the man who had received five talents, a sum of money, went at once and put his money to work. He invested it, and, and he gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. I mean, they made the investment. They, they weren't indifferent to what the master had done. They weren't indifferent to the privilege they'd been given. They weren't indifferent to their responsibility, their purpose and potential, and they went out, and they doubled it. And it wasn't that one had five and one only had two. They did something with what they were given. But look at what happened to the third guy. 
But the man who had only received one talent went off and didn't invest it, didn't do anything with it. He dug a hole in the ground and put his master's money there. And when his master came back, he just dug it up and gave it to him. And this is how his master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. It wasn't that he had less than the others. It was that he did nothing to invest it. He was apathetic and indifferent. The guy even said, you could have just put it on deposit and gotten a little bit of interest for goodness sake. You buried it into the ground. God is so disappointed by apathy because it keeps us from our purpose and potential. And I believe it keeps me and you so far from what God created us for. Apathy keeps us from caring for and helping others, which is what the world's all about. The great command that God gave us was to love God and to love others. And yet there's so little love of others going on, and it's apathy that keeps us from caring for and helping others. We're in this program here as a, as a church family, and if you're a guest, you might not know this. It's called Living the Script, and what we're doing is we're reading through the entire New Testament in 40 days. And I know for a fact some of you are behind, but that's just a whole other issue. And and one of the first books we read as we're reading Living the Script was the Gospel of Luke. And as I was reading my, you know, portions, I came across the story in Luke 10 where, where a guy came to Jesus and said, you know, you say we're supposed to love our neighbor, but who's our neighbor and how do we love him, right? So Jesus tells this story and says, well, there's this guy that was beat up and broken and left for dead. And I'm going to tell you something. Every single day we work by and we live by and we walk by people who are beat up and broken by this world. He says, you want to know what it's like to love your neighbor? Well, here's the deal. There was a priest, a real religious guy, preached really good message, did really good things. And he walked by this guy that was robbed and broken and hurting. Walked right by him, indifferent. Didn't care enough to do anything about it. And then there was a Levite, another religious guy, and he did the same thing. But then there was this Samaritan. A Samaritan wasn't considered anybody in that day. Prejudice was alive and well, and they were demeaned because of their ethnicity and faith and and Jesus said, but the Samaritan did what the religious guys didn't do. He stopped and he took care of this guy and he nursed him back to health. And then look what he says at the end of this passage in Luke 10, 36 through 37. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, yeah. You want to know what it's like to love a neighbor? Go and do likewise. Apathy's killing us. I mean, we're not living it out. Just l let me ask you a question. If, if I was to ask you, what is the opposite of love, what would you say? Yeah, we'd say hate by nature. The opposite of love is hate. But it's not really. Because, you know, to hate someone demands that you care. To hate someone demands passion, emotional connection. To hate someone demands that that person's feelings or what they did to you matter so much to you that you're going to stake some negative emotion in your life and house it because they matter to you. Love and hate aren't opposites. They're just degrees off on, on the expression of passion. Do you know what the opposite of love is? Indifference. Because indifference allows me not to even notice them. Indifference allows me not to care, not to recognize them. They can be dead to me. Indifference is the opposite of love. Indifference is apathy. And we have become indifferent to the poor, to the hungry, to the starving, spiritually and physically around the world. And we can claim to love all we want, 
But indifference says something very different. It's robbing us. It's its own prison. And you know, one of the things that brings the greatest amount of joy in this world is actually helping and caring for someone else. Yeah, I've loved this Two Million Meals event that we're doing, and I've just loved it. Because people sign up for this thing, and it's like two hours that they maybe didn't have to invest, and they sign up for two hours, and, you know, and they're going to go, and they kind of come in. I've watched them. I've been there a lot. They come in with their coffee, and, oh, my God, you know, like this, you know, like the walking dead, right? And then all of a sudden, they start getting filled with enthusiasm and filled with joy and filled with excitement and they become alive because this is exciting to be a part of something that's bigger than them. This is exciting to be with people who are doing something important and they're not sitting on the couch watching people live. They're living and making a difference in other people's lives and it brings them alive. There's a lot of sadness and sorrow and despair in this world and I believe because that's what results from apathy. It puts us in a prison of sorrow. Whereas if we would just walk out of it and care for and help others, we could experience the positive emotions God's created us for. Apathy is its own prison because it keeps us from experiencing the work of God in our lives. I mean, we, whether we know it or not, what we really are missing in this world is God's working in our lives. We were created to walk with him, to experience him, to do life with him. He's the source of life and joy and love. We, we're, we're missing the work of God in our lives. We're missing the promises of God in our lives because of apathy. You see, Jesus came to give us freedom and fulfillment. Jesus came to fill our lives with love and peace and joy and hope. But most people aren't experiencing it. Why? Not because it's unavailable. Jesus unlocked the prison doors we were born into. Jesus made it possible for us to experience these things. But apathy keeps us from it. We're too comfortable. We're too lazy. We're too indifferent. We're too unconcerned to pursue him. We don't need anyone else. Jesus himself said this. He was speaking to a church Way back when the Revelation was written in the Bible, the last book of the Bible, and look what he said to this church. This wasn't to people who weren't going to church. It was to people like us. And he says, I know your deeds. I know your works. You're neither cold. You don't bring refreshment into people's lives like a cold glass of water, nor are you hot. You don't bring healing into people's lives like like wonderful hot springs. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're just lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And you want to know why you're so lukewarm? Because here's what you say. I'm rich, I have acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. There's apathy described. And then he says, but you don't realize that your apathy has made you wretched and pitiful, poor and blind and naked. When I thought of this series, it made sense to me that adversity could put us in a prison and Loneliness could put us in a prison, and anger could put us in a prison, and lust could put us in a prison. That made sense to me. But then I realized that which I would never think could build a prison around me is maybe the most powerful prison in my life, this thing called apathy. It's a prison. If we're going to be breaking out, we've got to break out of apathy. But to break out and claim freedom and fulfillment, the freedom and fulfillment that Jesus came to give us, we have to break free of apathy. We have to break free of it. But how is that going to happen? And I'm going to tell you, it's not going to happen like you think it's going to happen. Because you can read books on this and you can go to religious classes all your life and be in religion all your life and and they're going to tell you the wrong thing if you're not careful. 
But you know what God says is the way to break free of apathy? The first thing he says, and this makes sense, it's kind of a, a metaphor that we can experience in our own physical health. If you've got a physical problem, if you've got a physical problem, What's the very first thing to fixing the problem? You've got to diagnose it, right? If we're going to break free of apathy, we have to diagnose the problem. And you know what God said our problem is? Our heart is the problem. Our heart's the problem. I mean, that's what the whole Bible's about. We've got messed up hearts. Look at Jeremiah 17, 9. Go all the way back into the Old Testament. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You say, what's that question? Who can understand it? Okay. Have you ever read the newspaper and read about the wacky things people are doing in this world and go, I don't get it. If you're a parent, have you ever looked at your kids and said, I don't get it. Why did I want these little rugrats? No, that's not what I meant. But I mean, you don't understand what they're doing. You're like, well, why are they doing it? Have you ever looked at your spouse and said, I don't get it. I don't understand what they're doing. My wife says that every day of her life. She's asked that about me. I mean, we, we don't understand each other because we don't make sense. We're not, we're not making the best of choices. We're not doing the best of things. We're, we're hurting ourselves instead of helping ourselves. And you know what this verse is saying? It's because our hearts are messed up. And when your heart's messed up, you make messed up choices. The problem with our apathy is our heart. Apathy's not a state of mind. It's a state of the heart. In fact, just examine the meaning of the word, word apathy. That first A is the prefix, and it means without. You put A in front of moral, amoral, without morality. You put A in front of pathy, apathy, it's without. But the second part of the word comes from the root pathos, right? Apathy, pathos. You know what pathos is, right? It deals with emotion and heart and passion. What's the word mean? Without heart, without feeling, without love, without passion. The problem is with our heart. And you can see it all the way through the Bible again. All you have to do is compare the only one who ever had a good heart, Jesus, with everyone else. Look at the religious leaders versus Jesus. The religious leaders versus Jesus. I mean, it's so obvious what's going on here. Jesus had a great heart, and they didn't. Look at how it says it in Matthew 9, 10 through 13. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, Matthew was a tax collector who, who was extorting money from everyone in the world. He was building his own wealth at the expense of others. Talk about apathy. But then Jesus came and redeemed him and changed him. His failure wasn't final, and he wanted to reach some of his friends. And so he invited many tax collectors and sinners over to his house to eat with him and to eat with Jesus and Jesus' followers. But the religious leaders, the Pharisees saw this and they asked Jesus' followers, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he hang out with these bad people? On hearing this, Jesus said, because it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I don't need you to put yourself in a box of no, 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 yes, yes, yes things. I need you to have a heart. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus had a heart for the lost and the broken, the hurting, the sick, and the confused, and the messed up people of the world. He had a heart for them, and so he invested himself in helping them. He went out of his way to help them to help us. He left heaven and came to earth. But the religious leaders of Jesus' day didn't give a flip. In fact, they had contempt for the broken and the hurting people of the world. Apathy is a heart problem. Just look at Jesus' disciples versus Jesus. 
Because it's really easy to get after the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders of the day, but how about the people who gave up their careers to follow Jesus? These are the good people, right? These are the good people. But look at them. There was a circumstance in Matthew 15. Look at verses 32 to 33. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. I mean, it wasn't like today. Jesus could teach for three days and people would stay. If I preached for 45 minutes, you're out of here, right? And, and not only that, they didn't have McDonald's and Wendy's, you know, health food stores to go to where they could get food quickly. And so they went three days without food and, and Jesus was burdened by that. He, he, he had compassion for them on that. But look at the disciples. His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? 7-Eleven hasn't even been invented yet, Jesus. And I mean, really? Now, let's just give them that they were in a remote place and there wasn't a 7-Eleven to get food. Let's give them from another passage that they didn't have enough money to buy the food for all these people. Let's give them all those facts. Shouldn't they still have at least cared about the problem? Jesus saw the people and their pain the disciples saw the people and how they would be a burden to them. Jesus had a heart. They had apathy. And let me be really, really honest with you here. In me, I see more of the Pharisees and the disciples than I see of Jesus more often than not. Don't you? We have to diagnose the problem. The problem is ours, and the problem is our heart. And then we have to accept the cure. We have to accept the cure. Doctor can say, you've got cancer, and there's only one cure. It's chemotherapy or something like that. And you could go, I'm going to eat peaches. Okay. I'll see you when I get to heaven. you got to accept the cure. The same is true spiritually. We have to diagnose the problem, our heart's the problem. And if we're going to fix the problem, we have to accept the cure. And you know what God says the cure is? This is not, this is not for brainiacs. This is for simple people like us. The cure is if you've got a bad heart, you need a new heart. Do you see how I went to Wald Lake Central High School? Do you see how brilliant I am because of that? You've got to accept the cure. Jesus says, you need a new heart. This is a big deal. The problem is, everybody in the world is telling us something different. If you go to Barnes & Noble, you can see walls and walls of self-help books, and you know what they say the cure for our apathy is? Resolve. You just have to resolve to be different. Just do it. Just do it. Well, I've resolved to be different my entire life, and you know what I've been? Exactly the same. Resolve doesn't work. You know what religion tells us to do? Religion says, just change what you do. Stop doing the things you do and start doing the things you don't do. Well, if I could start doing the things I don't do and not doing the things I do do, I would do that. <laughs> but I can't do it. I don't even know what I just said, but I hope it worked. <laughs> I know there was doo-doo somewhere in there. <laughs> Look it. Religion doesn't work because it asks us to put on 
something different, but it doesn't change what's inside. Look at how Jesus said it in Matthew 23, 25 to 26. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're cleaning the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're still full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. The only cure for our prison of apathy is a new heart. And that's not something we can do for ourselves. The psalmist got it, Psalm 51.10, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Jesus said it through Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, they become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and that's exactly what we need. We need the old apathetic heart gone, and we need the new passion, compassion-filled heart. But we need a new heart, and this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came. Don't believe what religion has taught you. Believe what Jesus has taught us. This is why he came. Jesus came, and he was the only human to ever walk the face of this earth. This is why Jesus is the only way. He was the only human to walk the face of this earth with a perfect heart, a good heart, a healthy heart. That's why every one of his choices was a good choice. Every one of his steps was a good step. Every one of his behavioral patterns was a good behavioral pattern because he had a good heart. But then at the end of his life, he did something weird. In our world, when we have a bad heart, what we do is we get a heart transplant so we can get a good heart, right? Jesus did it in reverse. Jesus had a good heart. And at the end of his life, he had a radical heart transplant where he took out his heart to give to us and he put in our heart and that's why he was nailed to a cross and that's why he suffered and died for the wages of our sin is death and he died because he took our heart he took the consequence of our apathy and our lack of passion and concern and our indifference on himself and that's why on the cross he said my God my God why have you forsaken me I'll tell you why because he had our heart but then he burst forth from that, from that tomb with new life to give us a new heart. And each of us can have it, but we have to receive it. We have to be in Christ. We have to ask him for it. I believe what's keeping many of us in prison is the fact that we still have an old heart. We might have lots of resolve and lots of religion, but we still have a bad heart. And what we need to do is we need to simply ask Jesus to give us a new one. This is the moment. So before I give you the the last principles and wind them quickly into your life, I'm going to ask you if you'd just take a moment. Not think about all the other stuff going on in the world. Just take this moment and pray with me. Would you do that? If you're watching Northridge On Demand, pray with me as well. And as we pray, if you know that the outside of you does not match the inside of you, that your inside is still the messed up heart you were born with, why not ask Jesus to give you a new one? Take the words in my prayer and make them your words of faith expressed to God. Just say, God, create in me a pure heart. I want to be in Jesus, a new creation. Take the old and put in the new. I've sinned against you. I've, I'm guilty of leaving you out. I'm guilty of apathy. But Jesus, you died on the cross for my sin. I'm trusting you to forgive me. You rose again to give me new life. I'm claiming it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me just before I download the last principles into your life, I just really want to encourage you, let us know. First of all, 
It is such a huge encouragement to know when someone takes a step of faith as a result of what we're doing here. We'd love to know. And the second reason is we've put together materials to help you take next steps in your relationship with God, and we need to know it before we can get it to you. So in the program that you're handed, if you're in our live services, we put this connection card. And all you have to do is rip it out. It's simple. You fill it out. You check off that bottom part that says, today you prayed with me. And then we have boxes at every exit in this building as you're leaving. Throw it in there, and we'll do the rest. We'll send you the information to help you take next steps forward. And if you're watching Northridge On Demand, there's a button that says, what next? Hit that, and we'll do the same for you. All right, so we diagnose the problem. We've got a bad heart. We accept the cure. We've got a new heart. But then there's something else that needs to be done. Let me go back to the physical, Okay. If someone has a heart transplant and it goes really, really well, do you think the doctor comes into the recovery room and says, oh my gosh, that was a terrific surgery. You got a fantastic heart. You got a perfect heart. It's awesome. And we put it in your body and it's just fantastic, man. This thing is great. So as soon as you feel good enough to get up, man, go enjoy the best barbecue ribs you can find. I mean, hit the McDonald's, start pumping down the Cinnabon because you've got a new heart, man. We bought you 40 new years. Do you think that's what the doctor would say? No, the doctor would say, okay, here's the deal. You've got a new heart, but if you want to live a quality life, then you've got to reorder the way you live. If we're going to truly, truly live the right way, not in apathy, but like Jesus with passion and compassion, once we get the new heart, we have to reorder our lives. We have to reorder our lives. We can't just make it all about us again because we'll just destroy it again. And how we reorder our lives is by living heart healthy. We have to live heart healthy. We have to make a huge change. And I just want to give you ideas. These will be quick to give to you, but I hope you'll spend time investing them in, in this week because if we're going to live heart healthy lives, it requires consistently engaging God's presence do you think when the priest walked by the broken man, when the Levite walked by the broken man, do you think that they were thinking of and engaging God's presence? No, they thought God was somewhere else and they were going to go where God was. Who cares about these broken people? But I want you to know, God's presence was there and the Samaritan figured it out. We need to consistently engage God's presence. I found as a kid, when my dad was watching, I made different choices than when he wasn't. Some of the choices you made this last week were made because you weren't conscious of God's presence. And it goes more than that. It's not just the choices you make. Do you realize that when you experience God's presence, his presence changes you? You can't experience the presence of God and remain the same. You can't do it. We need to consistently engage God's presence, and he'll keep us filled with passion. He'll keep us filled with love. He'll keep us fully alive. Look at Hebrews 10, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. That means let us draw near. Let's recognize his presence, and let's do it with the confidence that he's really there with full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. If we're going to live heart healthy, we need to consistently be engaging God's truth. God's truth sets us free. Look at Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8. The law of the Lord, that's speaking about the Bible, the inspired words of God, God's truth. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. What is a soul that is apathetic? It is a soul that is stagnant. It is a soul that has stopped living. It is a soul that has stopped feeling. And what does the law of the Lord do? It revives the soul. 
Look at, it says, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. What is an apathetic heart? A heart without feeling. What is a heart filled with joy? The right kind of heart. And what does it? The law of the Lord, God's truth. We need to consistently engage God's truth. I mentioned living the script and reading the Bible. And I just want you to know, the reason I keep pressing on you to be a part of living the script and getting that book and reading through it with us, the reason I keep pressing isn't for me. It's not something I want from you. Do you, do you think if I get, for every thousand of you I get reading the Bible, I get a bonus from the elders of the church? Do you think that? You think, you think I'm living on commission here, you know? Oh my gosh, if I get another thousand, man, I can go to McDonald's this week. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm not getting anything from you. But I know that if you get into God's truth, it will do something for you. It will change you. It will make you heart healthy. If we're going to live heart healthy, it demands consistently engaging compassionate believers. Compassionate believers. Look at how Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says it. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us keep getting together with each other so we can stay encouraged and we need to do it all the more as the day gets worse and worse and worse, you know? We need to spur each other on toward love and good works. We need to consistently engage compassionate believers. It's been so much fun. And if, if you haven't been a part of the two million meals, we're so glad you're here, and there's no judgment in this, but if you weren't able to sign up, and, you know, all the slots are filled, so there's no space available anymore today and all that, but, but I want you to know, next time we do something like you, this, you're going to want to be a part of it, because you won't believe the unbelievable joy that's being experienced in that place. I mean, the unbelievable joy. And, and people are walking in, as I've already said, people are walking in, they're kind of tired, they're kind of, you know, got to do my responsibility, and they're walking out, and how, you know what, most people sign up for one shift, two hours, and they think, two hours, yeah. You know what they do afterwards? They come and ask, can I serve another shift? Because there's something about being with people who have passion, people who live for something bigger than themselves and bigger than the moment. There's something about being with people who are compassionate and making a difference. It makes us fully alive. It causes us to leave the prison cell and to start living. We need to consistently engage compassionate believers. Are you? If we're going to really live heart healthy, we need to be consistently engaging the hurting and the helpless. That's what Jesus did. Look at Matthew 9, 35 and 36. Jesus went through all the towns and villages. He wasn't a couch potato. He wasn't watching his favorite show. He was, he was walking through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness that he saw. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Compassion, the opposite of apathy. He was with compassion, not without compassion, because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd when he saw the crowds. Do you know what fills people with passion and compassion? It's seeing people who are hurting and broken, really seeing them. It's changed me. It's changed me. Being in Haiti and being in Zambia and being in Nigeria and being in India and being in places around the world where the, the poor are poor. Being in our own city, Detroit, and seeing the travesty of people who live right here within miles of us living such desperately poor lives, it changes me. It makes me want to help. It makes me want to do something about it. Two million meals is the result of being with the hurting and the helpless. You want your heart to get healthy? Why don't you join us in ministering 
in Detroit? Why don't you join us in ministering around the world to the hurting and the helpless? Why don't you reach out to the people in your own community who are hurting and helpless? You don't need us to do that. And it'll inspire you. It'll make your heart healthy. And finally, look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brother, stand firm. Let nothing move you. And by the way, apathy, if you're a believer already, if you're not, if you haven't been given a new heart yet, apathy makes sense. But if you've been given a new heart and you've got apathy, here's what's happened. You've let the world move you back. He's saying, don't do it. Don't let them move you. Don't, don't. You need to stand firm. And here's how. By always giving yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know what a lot of people think about when, when we say that? Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. They think, oh, you mean I've got to be at church more and I've got to be, you know, working at the church? You know, so like I have to be a greeter at the church or something. I have to be an usher. I have to teach Sunday school. That's not what the work of the Lord is. I mean, that is a work of the Lord, but that's not what the work of the Lord is. Do you realize the church is not a building at all? The church is people? And do you know, in spite of the sign outside this building, until you show up, this is just a building and not the church, but when you show up, it becomes the church. And you know what happens when you leave here? The church leaves here. Do you know what the problem with this world is? We only think we're the church when we're in this building, and so the world never really sees the church. But if we realize that each and every one of us are the church, then where we work and where we live, people would start experiencing the unbelievable passion and compassion of Jesus. You know what would happen? Ah, the world might actually change. If we're going to really live heart healthy, then we have to start consistently engaging the work of the Lord in every context we're in in life. We need to consistently engage God's work in every context of life. Here's what that means. If you're a lawyer, then you need to realize that your law office and that courtroom that you go to, that's where you do the work of the Lord. You know what's the problem with lawyers? I'm going to tell you what the problem with lawyers is. The problem with lawyers is that they don't understand that what they're doing is supposed to be the work of the Lord. You know what could change lawyers? If you are one, you doing the work of the Lord as a lawyer could change other lawyers, and God knows they need that. And I can say that because my dad was an attorney. Do you know what government workers are supposed to be doing if they're believers? The work of the Lord. And God knows the government needs the work of the Lord. Do you know what teachers are supposed to do in the classroom? The work of the Lord, because God knows students need that. That doesn't mean you're preaching Jesus in the classroom. That means you're living Jesus in the classroom because you have a heart filled with compassion, not indifference. We need to engage the work of the Lord wherever we're at. Don't wait for two million meals to do the work of the Lord. Do the work of the Lord with your neighbor, with your co-worker, with your family, with your friends. Because where you are, that's where the church is. And the reason people don't buy into the church is because they don't buy into us. And the reason they don't buy into us is because we've locked ourselves in a cell built of apathy. But here's the good news. Jesus came to set us free. It's time we break out. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Thank you.